I'll be honest, I never really had a problem, you know, uh, it's one of the things I just praise God for, teaching and getting into the Word and being able to kind of express that and help others um, hopefully get a, a, a fervor and a fever and a fire for the Bible. And so I really like that and I appreciate that. And so that's been a setting that a lot of us have grown to know each other in. And um, so I really never had, didn't have problems preparing messages. And this one was a, a lot different. It really was. Um, I, I was originally scheduled for the end of September. And it's a good thing it wasn't then because it w- there was nothing. I just, I, w- I was a kind of an emotional wreck. Not that I'm not one now, but I was really then. Um, and... And it just, you know, Buddy said, hey, you want to put this off because of all the different outreaches and stuff? I was like, yes, I do. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, sure enough, about six, seven days ago, uh, God kind of just really put something perfectly on there. And it's really because I, I changed my prayer. You know, you got to remember that, guys. Sometimes it's, it's really not God's approach to us. We know how gracious and loving that is. Sometimes it's our approach to him. And so instead of like, what am I going to say when I just have so much to say, I just changed my prayer and said, hey, God, what do you want to say? What is it that you want them to hear on this special occasion, on this celebration? What do you want them to hear? And then all of a sudden, this one little story from the Gospels hit. And so before we get into that, um, I got the number one question I continually get is why New Zealand? And it's true, this is an awesome place. There's no doubt about it. And if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, it's ridiculous. It's like, I, they're like, you're going to Middle Earth? And then, New Zealand, Middle Earth. So uh, it really is a beautiful place. And to be perfectly honest, there really is only one answer to this question. That's God. Um, a couple years ago, when this omi- originally happened with, with uh, Shannon going, we, we kind of decided that God put in our heart uh, a life for missions. It's always been on my wife's heart. She's been out of the country numerous times on uh, short-term mission trips. And so, um, and so as a family, one of her prayers is that we would do this. And we did last year. I kind of go down to Ecuador as a family, spend a couple weeks at an orphanage there. And... Uh, and we, it kind of confirmed what we had decided a couple of years ago, is that, hey, maybe we should be a mission family. I remember coming in and telling Pastor Jason, um, saying, hey, we really think we should be a mission family. And this has been, we are an answer to one of his prayers. He's always wanted to have a family come from Salem Fields Community Church to be missions, some, just be a full-time missionary out in the world. And so I just remember her saying, what about New Zealand? And I was like, honey, do you know where New Zealand is? I mean, because I, you have to realize, we, first of all, we know nobody. We've started to forge relationship there, but we know nobody. And we, like, we have like an awesome family. I mean, we really do. Uh, some of them are here today. And this is the other side of the planet. So it's not like we're like, you know, I have problems with my father and like, no problem, let's go. All right, we're, this is a lot. And that's why where a lot of this kind of emotion comes from. It's heavy. And it's going to be a long time of separation. But I think it can be a sweetness. As I've already learned being separated from my family for a little while here. And there can be a sweetness and a growth that is absolutely awesome involved in that. 
And so we're kind of looking forward to that. But as we started to learn more and more about the situation in New Zealand, we started to find out that God actually does have a kind of a plan kind of for us. In other words, what I found out is that New Zealand is more than a destination. It's crying out for the Holy Spirit to be poured out upon it. And so in order to drive this point home, we're going to do audience participation. I always like that. They're like, oh, great, it's that guy. Yes, it is that guy. So let's have everyone stand up. Now, if there's a medical reason why you don't have, that's fine. All right, so let's look around real quick. Um, this is representative right now at the population of New Zealand. All right, you are. It's a representative. They have more than just this, but that's good. This is a good, look around, go ahead. This is a beautiful group. I love the Hawaiian shirts. All right. Let's have this group over here take a seat. Um, back two rows of these two groups, you guys can take a seat. Back two rows, yeah, you can go ahead and take a seat. And this group over here, you guys can take a seat. All right, so just over half of the uh, auditorium has now sat down. Um, over half of the auditorium, if you're standing up right now, you have a religious belief. You believe in some sort of God. It's not that you're a Christian, but you at least believe in something supernatural. The 52% of the folks that just sat down have no belief in that whatsoever in New Zealand. Nothing supernatural. No God. They're either agnostic, naturalistic, individualistic, uh, atheist. The majority of the folks this is on survey, admit that that is the case. All right, you guys can take a seat real quick. Don't worry, you get back up. My uh, Catholic brothers and sisters, I was raised Catholic, and so we're used to it. Let's boom. What's, <laughs> so, <laughs> boom, what's next? It's time. And this is just all part of it. And so um, a lot of people are like, well, Matt, you don't have to do, go to the other side of the country. And true, but when... Americans answer that question, 84% of us have some belief in some type of supernatural. That's only 16% of Americans that will say, no, that's nothing to do with it. This is all a naturalistic view of life or atheistic or agnostic or whatnot. All right? Now, they're not all Christians, but they believe in something. So that's a huge discrepancy where the majority of the population is what, guys, it's a country. It's a nation without a God. It's without a father. We know what that does to families, just individual families not having a father. So, so there's some real need there. All right, one more time. Let's all get up. Oh, geez. I blame Wayne for that. Why you put your book back on your lap? I said there was more. <laughs> this is your workout for today. You're done. You can watch some football now, right? All right. Again, you're the population of New Zealand. Let's go ahead. You guys are the lucky ones. You can sit right back down. Um, this group right here, you can sit back down. All right, you too. You guys can sit down. Um, let's go with about these first four rows. You first four rows, you remain standing. Everyone else, that's my family. They're serving me right now. All right. Everyone else. Now, you 10%. All right. You're the folks that think what we're doing right now is a worthwhile thing. This is a worthwhile endeavor. Coming to church is a worthwhile endeavor. And look around. They don't. All right, you guys could take a seat. That's the, that is the situation on the ground in New Zealand where 90, over 90% of the population doesn't feel that going into and worshiping in a community is a worthwhile endeavor. 
And if you look at the same question asked by the Pew Foundation in 2012 here, 40% of Americans claim to be regular church attenders. Dig into that deeper, it's usually somewhere around 20%. But that's still a huge difference, over double of what the situation is on the ground there. So four months ago when we said kind of yes, we didn't know what we were saying yes to. And as uh, Neville Bartell, my connection that I'm kind of working with through Nazarene Missions, uh, started to describe this on the ground, he just described a huge level of just pure apathy towards anything spiritual. And so we already had kind of a message and a sermon on that a few weeks ago. And we understand what apathy can do in our individual lives. This is a nationwide type of thing. And so at the end of this service, there's going to be a kind of a a love offering for us. And I want to put some of you kind of at ease right now, all right? Because I'm going to tell you, material need is there. It's very expensive to live there. It's very expensive. It's an island, all right? They produce things like sheep and kiwis, all right? (laughs) All right? Now, wait. You guys, don't get, they're awesome people. We've been nothing but loved. So I don't want to get this like, hey, New Zealand's this crazy place. No, they're beautiful people. They just need the Holy Spirit of God. Bad, bad. Um, one little story. You guys, 11 o'clock, everything starts going in. Uh, this used to be per capita and per population 50 years ago, one of the most mission-sending countries in the world. Everybody, Neville described when you go out and play as a child, Everybody knew their church. Everyone belonged to somebody. And now 90% don't even go. That's in 50 years. What we're doing here is remarkably important, ladies and gentlemen. And more important, what we're doing in here needs to be transmitted out there. Or what could be America in 50 years? So keep that there. And so as I was continually going there, and I'm just going to, like I said, I want to... Just really ease your heart. If you're not going to pray for the people of New Zealand and for us, you don't have to give money. You just don't. I'm just telling you right now. All right? Because if, if the Holy Spirit doesn't show up, it's pretty much going to be a vacation. We'll work. We'll work our little tails off. We need him. We need him there. And we need your prayers to be uttered up. Um, I know this right now. I know this right now. If you crawl into bed with your daughter and you're praying with her and she says, I pray for the people of New Zealand. I pray for the Lesniaks. That prayer is heard. I know that. I still blame Allison for us going. (laughs) That's a powerful prayer. Remember us in our prayers. Again, I'm not downplaying material need. It should be a heavy weight on everyone in this room that in this hour we're gathering due to the, just statistically, a thousand children will die of disease or hunger, preventable disease or hunger in this world. A thousand kids. Material need is very real. I know there are people in this room sponsoring kids and families all over the, all over the globe. I encourage you to do those things. And yeah, there are poor people in New Zealand. But New Zealand needs the Holy Spirit. It needs a body like this lifting it up in prayer. All right? I beg you to pray. Plead with you to pray. Just pray for us. And so finally, as I changed my prayer 
And God said, why would you try to think of anything different than everything you've pretty much done ever? And the Apostle Paul in chapter 15 of Corinthians says these words, this is of first importance. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried and three days later rose again in accordance with the scriptures. Why come with anything else? And he placed on my heart this this story of this woman who had a bleeding disorder for many, many years. And so I started to just, I literally just opened up my Bible and started really kind of pouring into it. What I found out in all three gospel messages, this story is not independent. And so, yes, I wanted to give a, a really cool story about how the Lesniak's lives were transformed, changed, and in many cases ruined by a community like this and raised again into, an, into a, a position where we can actually be a spokesman and a spokesfamily, a megaphone for Christ on the other side of the planet coming from Fredericksburg, Virginia. That's awesome. That's awesome. And so as I kind of researched and, and dug into this, it is sandwiched and connected to another one. So if you brought your Bibles, and I do see some of them out there, that's great. We're going to be camping out in Mark 5. If you didn't bring them, all these scriptures are, are kind of written in there in your handout with some spaces there. And it picks up on uh, chapter 5 and verse 21. When Jesus had crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was at the lake. And one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. And a lot of the times I kind of, if I'm teaching or kind of leading or doing some of these things, one of these major things that you can do, something, oh, the Bible doesn't do that for me. You got to read it. And one of the things that can help you do that is start using your imagination. You don't have to read the Bible in 90 days. All right? You just don't. Let's do a quick one. I'm really off topic today. Let's do it. Who's read the Bible at least one time in the last five years? Okay. Yeah, the whole thing. We got, with, there's a spat. Tommy. He just learned to read today. Do you, <laughs> do you know that this church has an awesome family ministry? Yeah. That child has read the Bible. He just learned to read a month ago. Yeah. Those preacher kids. Here's what I can tell you. Slow down. Read it with imagination. Like, start to picture this. He's getting off a boat and a huge crowd comes in. This is not hard to do. Think of the president. Think of a rock Think of somebody. Think of them crowding in on this man and have this person. Put yourself in Jarius' shoes. Kneeling down and pleading 
My daughter is dying. He, you do know that the synagogue rulers and Pharisees, Sadducees, Jesus, mm-mm, not often. They often were at odds. So this man, this is an awesome act of humility. It, work on Monday is not going to be great for him going to Jesus. It's just not. But we're going to find out he's not going to care. But we can picture that. That can come alive, right? And so use your imagination. Do you know if you read one book of the Bible in about five years from now, just one book a month, you'll have been able to answer that question differently. Everybody in this room will be able to raise your hand. In the last five years, I've read the Bible. One book. There's some of them that are like a page long. You're done for the month. <laughs> just a hint. Start working on Psalms. You got some extra time, start working on the Psalms. It's a little longer. Do it. Read with imagination. It's a great tip. So here, picture this image, because what you're going to find out is that Jesus is actually, really, this ends up being a huge environment in which transformation and change is going to come. Um, But I want you to to track, there's three major incidents in this uh, account of what's going on where something said, and instead of a great debate, action takes place. In other words, there's no talk. It's, it's time for something to happen. So if we see this in this first part, Jerry throws himself at Jesus' feet and says, you got to come. We got, you have to come and lay your hands on my daughter and heal her. And you know what? He doesn't. She's healed. He doesn't even need to snap. He's already done that with the Roman centurion's servant. He doesn't have to go anywhere. But they don't have some great debate about this. This awesome act of humility by this man is followed by no words, just action. And we see this here in verse 24. So Jesus went with him. Keep your eye out for it. It's going to happen throughout here where there's no need to talk. Sometimes it's just time to turn our faith into works that he's prepared for us to do. All right? So keep an eye on that one. It's a good one. So Jesus went with him. The large crowd followed and pressed in around him. We can picture this, guys. A woman there was there, subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she had heard about Jesus, she came up behind them in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. This This is a beautiful thing especially when you kind of take a step back from it and say, not not only did a healing take place here, because the healing really hasn't taken place yet. Um, If you step back from it and look at what happened, um, a little bit of background knowledge helps a lot. So dig in, and you will. Believe me, God puts this fire in you. I was no different than anyone in this room five, ten years ago. No different at all. There's no magic power I have. But if I take a step back, what's happened is there's an actual environment where this woman can do this. You see, she's bleeding. She's ceremonially unclean. She's not allowed to be in this kind of a setting at all. And she's not allowed to be touched or touch another person. Anyone she touches is ceremonially unclean. But yet God makes this dynamic, ruckus kind of environment and where she can sneak up incognito, touch his cloak, and get away. 
God's gonna do this, guys. Have faith he's doing it because when we walked in this place nearly a decade ago, the environment was being set. The relationships that we would forge were being started to walk out. Everything was being set in a way in which a ridiculous amount of transformation and healing takes place. Watch out if you're a young couple. We came in with two kids, we have three. It's <laughs> babies everywhere. It happens, doesn't it? And nothing is the same. Shannon was talking, we were just talking the other night with some friends, dear friends, and we're just mentioning things. And she said something about her uh, life as a hotel and restaurant manager, catering manager, and all this other stuff. And she just simply said, that was a, it was a different life. It was a different life. And that's real. It was a different life. Believe God's doing this. If you're in a really bad spot right now, if you're fluttering with all types of doubts, you just had a bad go of it. I'm telling you, on the authority of God's word, he's doing this in your life right now. I know for a fact. I know for a fact because now I see it. I don't take it for granted. God's already working in New Zealand. You'd be surprised how many things have just, hey, by the way, we got a place for you to stay now that we didn't have before, but we do now. You've got to be in Auckland for a couple weeks. I don't know what we're going to do two days later. Oh, yeah, someone's out of the country. You can have their house while you're there. The environment's already being taken care of. God's doing what he has to do. And with the power of this community coming together in prayer, I believe something awesome is going to happen because we have plans. Like we have, like I have assignments and things to do. I want to know what he wants us to do. I can't wait till he blows that plan up. Blow it up. Believe it. Believe he's working in this way, creating an environment for you to grow and be nourished. At once, Jesus realized that the power had gone from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? Huge change in this scene. We're all moving. Remember the urgency of this. We're going to heal a little girl who's dying. A huge crowd all pressing in. I love how the, it's almost like the disciples got an opportunity to jab him. All right, we find out this is Peter in, in one of the other accounts. It sounds like a Peter thing. Uh, you see the people crowding against you, the disciples answered, yet you ask who touched me? Duh. Everyone's touching you. Why do you, why do you even ask that question? I love how they talk to the author of life. <laughs> That's why, I mean, I guess they get, their, if they get their chance to do something. They think they're doing something. They're like, Come on, Jesus, everyone's touching you. That's a silly question. It's not a silly question. Because here's time number two, where something is said, and then action takes place. Because he doesn't do anything. He doesn't answer them. He just, the story just goes on. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, and told him the whole truth. Do you see, this is stopped. This crowd has stopped 
These two are having a conversation. All of the background information we already learned about this woman, 12 years of this, all the doctors and stuff like that, she's actually, they're having that conversation right now. The whole truth is being told right now. She's saying right now all of this that's going on. So this whole commotion, this whole scene has come to an utter stop and these two are having a, a chat about this. And Jesus says something that changes this whole scene. Daughter. Daughter. One word changes everything. I know, she's right there. I know what that word means. I don't need a Greek dictionary to figure it out. She is related to me. She is my offspring. Whew. I love her. <laughs> love her. It's not silly religious superstition. It's not touching someone's cloak that heals and transfer, transforms your life. It's not how much you do in any of this. It's that you are related to the Most High God through his son. Daughter. It's nothing, it's no faith in anything else. It's that relationship. Your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Now for us, for the Lesniak clan, sermon's over. This is what you've done. This is what you've done for us. You've been that environment where we can kind of sneak in incognito. And for a while, that's the way it was. And been able to be able to be transformed, heal and grow in all kinds of ways. And now we are able with the full confidence and backing of an awesome community of God to go in peace. We're able to do that now. But this story doesn't end here. And it doesn't end here on purpose. As we continue to see why these two are interconnected, while Jesus was still speaking, some men from Jairus's house, sorry, some men came from the house of Jairus the synagogue ruler, your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they, said, what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler. Don't be afraid, just believe. Now this is my good friend right here. There's lots of good friends in this place. But we, me and him have had many real chats. This is the tough one, isn't it? This is tough. With crushing news. He asks us, don't be afraid. Just believe. I know it's tough for me. And you know what? You don't have to have a daughter perish. Do we get good news? This series coming up, very timely. 
do we really get positive things from the outside world? There are positive things out there, but man, they love to shower us with the other stuff, don't they? I think Jesus has given us some hints here. Ignoring what they said. Steadfastly focused. Notice he's focusing on Jairus. Believe this, guys. If you feel that God's distant, he's not. Turn and find him. Don't be afraid. Just believe. And here's one of this, this is time number three. Jairus has every reason to say something here. Every reason to say something. He can actually complain. Why did you stop and have this conversation with this woman? Maybe you could have got there in time. He could have said anything. He could have said, well, she's dead. You can go on. He says nothing. The story just goes. Sometimes the, the, the real thing of belief is not raising the hand and saying something. Sometimes it's us just taking the next step. Go. And that's what happens here. He didn't let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went to them and said, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. Now, I, there's a lot here that we can kind of dig into. And since I have the next four hours, um, <laughs> so we'll just start digging, all right? But keep that imagination rolling because now he's leaving this crowd, right? This pressing in crowd. He's leaving that crowd after they just kind of, that was kind of a bummer. You know, that would be like, okay, you know, just getting your height. Oh, it's be like a Redskins fan, okay? You know, you get your hopes up, hopes up, hopes up, and then you have to leave, and then they've lost again, all right? That, I mean, they were all falling. What's this man going to do? What's he going to do? What's he going to do? Is he going to heal this girl? And then they come out, the girl's dead. And he leaves that crowd, and, and so he gets out of that, but he enters a different crowd with all this wailing and crying and commotion. And then he said, she's not dead, she's asleep. And they laugh at him. Guys, I'm going to, we already learned, and, and some of you probably caught it, that the, the cures of the world, they, they don't do it. They just don't do it. The woman, for 12 years, gave everything she had. She grew worse with the world's care for her. And here you can see how fake it is. The wailing and the moaning. The, believe it or not, they had like professional wailers at these things. They really did. That's what they would do to make and set the scene. But it does expose how fake it really is. How fake the world's message to us really is. Because as soon as he said, she's not dead, she's asleep, they go from wailing and crying to what? Laughing and pointing. How fake is it? I've been using this analogy the whole time. Use, there's going to be an iPhone 7. It's not the greatest phone in the world. That's how it always is. There's always a next best one. They'll say, this is the one that's going to help you. This is the one that's going to help you. This is the one that's going to help you. There's nothing wrong with an iPhone. It's not sinful, but it can be. There's a lot of things that aren't sinful in this world, but they can be. And that's an individual prayer, guys. 
I don't, I don't know what that is for each one of you, but I, I pray that you guys come to God in humility and are able to say these words that David said, search my heart, oh God. Have him, I, this is one thing I know. Some of you are already getting answers in your brain right now. I know this for a fact. The Holy Spirit is not. When you ask, he will answer. Some of you know right now what you have to put out and ignore because that's exactly what Jesus does. Look at what he does to this crowd, I love it. After he put them out. Some of you are in a mess right now with something. Put it out. He's teaching us to ignore these things and stay steadfastly focused on him. Put it out. For one of us, TV is not bad. For our family, TV had to go. Now, do we still watch some television shows? Sure. But I think my daughter can count how many shows she watches on one hand. Why? Because we never have TV. It was Netflix. My six-year-old didn't know what a commercial was. That's awesome. Do you know how, that's like, that kind of, I date it back. That's six plus years. That's great. You know how much time I resurrected by not sitting around the boob tube all the time? You know how much time was resurrected? I, I just... When he was two and we, were at, we would be visit grandma and granddad um, and Dora the Explorer was on and a commercial would come on, he would scream and throw a fit because he didn't know what one was. <laughs> put it back, put it back. We didn't change the channel, dear. This is called a commercial. Put it back. <laughs> <laughs> didn't know what it was. <laughs> so... Pray it. And I, I ask that God puts that on your heart to pray that prayer. And I want to see you guys put these things out of your life. I said in the nine o'clock, I want to see how God ruins your life. Takes what you think's important and shows you what's important. And it's not a what, it's not a thing, it's not an object, and it's not a person unless that person is Jesus Christ. Search my heart, oh God. After he put them out, he took a ch- the child's father and mother and disciples who were with him and he went where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talithia kume, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. She's 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished and gave strict orders not to let anyone know and told her to give her something to eat. I've heard plenty of sermons just on these verses too. You don't hide resurrection. The whole crowd already heard she was dead. She's gonna be playing tomorrow with their families. I love that he says, give her something to eat. She's been dead for a little while. (laughs) Give her something to eat. God cares about these things in your life, guys. Every itty-bitty little thing, including what you're going to put in your body. I love that. And so as I kind of look at this, this story of healing and transformation, I see that it's sandwiched in a story of death and resurrection. This is all of our story. This is the story of all of creation sandwiched in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You want the healing and transformation 
We want to be able to go in peace. There it is, sandwiched in that. And immediately, one of my favorite verses popped into my brain. It's uh, 2 Corinthians 5 and 14, and I will read on to 15. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised. The whole story sandwiched in a story of death and resurrection. It's the compelling love of Christ. He compels us to go. He makes it possible that we can go in peace. He heals. He transforms. What better news? What better message to hear? What a better way to share some of our last moments together. This is my prayer, is that you see that within what we have here, is the perfect environment for that transforming healing love to take place and to bring what's dead back to life. And so I kind of want to close up a little bit different today. All right, if we could have everyone kind of stand up. What I'd like to do is I'm going to just jump in somewhere. I want this community to come together and literally hold hands. And then I want to bless this community. And then uh, we're going to worship together. Just worship together. And then, um, and then Buddy will close us out. I love you guys. I really do. We love you, Matt. Love you, Matt. <laughs> Father God, as we bow our heads right now together as a community of believers, we just ask and I plead with you that they can see, tangibly see, the love that Shannon and I and our family have for them. That they can see it and feel it. But more importantly, God, that they get overwhelmed by your love. The overwhelming, compelling love of Christ needs to shower down on this place, God, and that's what I pray for right now. I pray that you just bless this place in a mighty way. I pray that everyone in this room prays for our leaders, prays for Buddy and Gay and this vision that they set on their hearts. God, I just ask that you allow this place to be a megaphone for you. God, just put it on their hearts. We don't need to go to the other side of the planet to be a light in a dark place. We need it in our family rooms, in our living rooms, kitchens, bedrooms. We need it in our classrooms. We need this in our world. We need this in our places of business. We need it in our government. And these men and women are going to go from this place into those places in God. And I just ask that they bring you and your gracious love to that place. I thank you so much and ask for an outpouring in a, just an all-new way at Salem Fields. We always say we want revival. Revival starts in the mirror. Don't be afraid, Salem Fields. Just believe. God bless this place and this people.
I love you, and it's in your dear son's name, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen.